finally works. Let's see here. I don't have them all. Children of the Corn is 84, of course. Children of Corn 2, the final sacrifice in 92. Right. That's crazy. That's so much time has passed. Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest in 95. Urban. Okay. 2009, a TV remake of the original film aired on Sci-Fi and Fox. October 23, 2022. No, 2020. A prequel to the 1984 film wow. and the 11th overall entry titled Children of the Corn 2020. Never heard of it. There was a company called Dimension Films, and they bought the rights to the name of Children of the Corn, and that's it. They made all those sequels. Are you talking about uh, uh, Harvey Weinstein's brother's uh, production? I don't know. I, I don't know. Because there was Miramax, and then they had like a B-movie division called... Uh, Dimension Films, Dimension then Films. Yeah. yeah. So, Bob, Children Bob, of the Bob. Corn 1 and 2 came out, and then they bought it, and they made, you know, nine more. He thinks his wife is being about to be torched up in, in a crucifixion, but it's actually Mordecai. So he's going to go over there, like, unhand my wife, and they're like, yeah, Mordecai had your wife in town hall about 10, 10 hours ago. Now, you see that machine there? Yeah. That's an irrigation machine. It pumps water into the field. Oh, yeah, I said that in the Flintstones. Okay, so just remember that, because we're going to be back to this irrigation machine. But it is going to be water. Uh, oh, it's corn alcohol. Right, ethanol. Corn ethanol. Yeah. No. Hey, guys. I thought this was about me. I'm the one who carved a pentagram in my chest. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He stole his thunder. He stole his glory. But he still has his chest out. Like, it's just nicely gratuitous. I think you're right. At first, I was like, oh, Mike's doing it again. Just getting it. But no. they Obviously, they got him as beefcake. Yeah. You know, the... Those are all the campy performances. From fighting terror, who is the enemy trying to crush us? Who is the enemy of truth and justice? Who is the enemy of peace and freedom? Where are the courts now when we need them? Why is impeachment not on the table? We better stop them while we are able. Roll out the drums of war. Roll out the drums of war. If you what your freedom's for Roll out the drums of war Whatever you believe The necessary course to be Depends on who you trust To identify the enemy Who took this country to war Long before the peace was lost Who are the prophets for And who are they who bear the cost when a country takes the low road? Thank you.
Way back in 80, when it first happened, the preacher was reading a quote. Ahí arriba, ahí arriba, ahí arriba. 
And good morning. Welcome to Labor and Love. This is The Bee, and we're coming to you from 21st and Florida, to be exact, 2781 Florida, in the heart of the mission, El Mero Mero. And we started out that. <coughs> uh, we had James Brown. James Brown could <clears throat> say in just a few words what a whole generation was feeling and what generations of people have been feeling. Say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. James Brown. And we had Las Cafeteras. Cafeteras, a group from got together at Cal State Northridge. Some were musicians and some were not, but they all decided to form a band. <coughs> Therein lies their story. Las Cafeteras. La Bamba Rebelde. The song La Bamba, famous by Richie Valens. Juiced up. Let it go up a little to make it more relevant to the new generation of people. Okay, so this is the Labor and Love Show. And on Labor and Love, we have some credos that we kind of live by. And our little mantra here is, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the negotiating table where you work. You're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a of labor. When I say labor, I mean you. Labor on Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. I mentioned some of our credos, so let's go over them. If you're a fan of this show, you probably know them already. But it never hurts to go over them.
great French writer George Sand, a woman who had to take a man's name in order to get published and read, said this about our anger. Humanity is outraged in me and with me. We must not dissimulate nor try to forget this indignation, which is one of the most passionate forms of pain. Echoed by Che Guevara's dictum that revolutionaries are motivated by the most supreme form of love. Echoed by William Butler Yeats. What if excess of love bewildered them? That, that is, the revolutions organized and took over the post office in Dublin in 1916. What if excess of love bewildered them till they died? I write it out in a verse. McDonough and McBride and Conmanty. How about pity the nation? Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silenced, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero and aims to rule the world by force and by torture. Pity the nation. that knows no other language but its own, no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money, who sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed. Pity the nation, oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode. Owens Ferlinghetti. All right, let's see. This one isn't available right now. <clears throat> so you're not that into politics. You're just not that into politics. Well, your boss is. Your landlord is, your insurance company is, and every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. Let <laughs> me get into politics. What about immigrants? In the last few years, Republicans and other bigots have made this into a big issue. It's a big issue. And of course, we know that Emma Lazarus, poet, wrote poem on the Statue of Liberty. Give me your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Lift my lamp the ocean door. Boy, we've come a long way from that, huh? When we needed cheap labor and all those people were coming from 
Eastern and Western Europe, Russia and all over the world, all that cheap labor to drive the engines of capitalism, now been turned into a bad thing. These are workers who want to come to the United States to work. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if there are undocumented immigrants in this country. Without social security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall, deport the illegals, BS, is just the 1%. convincing the working people to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor. Instead of realizing the reason they're all poor is due to the vast income inequality and resource price inflation in combination with wage stagnation. Use your brains. The existence of another poor person is not Or to be simple about it. You're not you're poor because you're not getting paid enough. <laughs> uh, and on and on, huh? What do we got next? And the penalty for aborting after rape, more severe than the penalty for rape, then you know, that's when you know it's a war on women. It's a pretty good one. A state that criminalizes abortion that ranks 50th in public education doesn't give Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a woman's life, to her well-being and dignity. When the government controls that decision for her, she is being treated as less than a fully adult human, responsible for her own choice. Pretty influential, huh? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Some people say she should have quit in time for Mr. Biden to appoint another quote-unquote liberal justice. Not liberal, let's be, you know, serious justice. Have some people there on the court who... Not thinking about people's lives. Okay. Let's see what we've got next. 
Here's Rob, Robert Reich, former Secretary of Labor under Clinton. Your reminder, keep this in mind now, the richest 1% own half of the stock market and the richest 10% own almost all of it, 92% of it. So when people brag about how the stock market's going up, they're not talking about the economy that 90% of us inhabit. 90% of us. I don't care if the stock market goes up or down. I always wondered why it was quoted in the news. Here's one that is unfortunately ironic by Utah Phillips. Um, about child labor. All right, child labor. They broke the back of child labor in this country. They demonstrated, fought. People died to break the back of child labor in this Little kids aren't coughing their lungs out in dreams in the East. Little kids aren't going down miles underground back cold. Ah, but they found a way. There is child labor still going on. It's a recent uh, expose by the New York Times like child labor to me. What's happening now is that people are so, capitalism is so can't function without cheap labor. And you get cheap labor wherever you can. You move a work to a country where the labor is Bring the cheap labor here, where the industry is. You get children, underage children, 18 or less, and you pay them start wages. I think actually that capitalists prefer, some capitalists, a lot of capitalists, prefer workers who are undocumented because they can be controlled. Be threatened, they can be underpaid. They lose their jobs, they're lost, period. Okay, let's get on. What are we going to do today on uh, Labor and Love Radio? I want to. Just in um, before. Start with Francesca Fiorentini, pay up creep. You know who. Here we go. We went live. Uh, a, a New York jury found President Donald, former President Donald Trump, thank you, uh, liable for abusing, sexually abusing writer E. Jean Carroll um, in the 1990s. The jury awarded her $5 million in damages for her battery and defamation claims. And this on the like, 
sort of the many different ways or the, the different charges or, or what they could have found him guilty on, this was sort of the lowest of the rungs. So what he was found guilty on sexual assault, assault. or sexually mm -hmm. abusing her, but not rape. They didn't scary. They didn't... The word rape. Yeah. Willie. It's kind of like the word abortion. Like I know it makes you feel uncomfortable. Think about how it actually feels when you aren't able to get one and or it happens to you, right? Like yes. Um we could just say it. But but so, you know, I'm even surprised that they didn't completely let him off the hook. There were six men and three women on this jury. Um I think it's an interest especially guys you just tell me. Let me take you through the deposition, all right? Ugh. We know we know E. Jean Carroll's side of the story. Um, she had two friends testify to the fact that she was raped. She called them immediately after. Um, everything was sort of flirty and normal until he pushed her and into a dressing room, banging her head, and then raped her. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's the story. Here's his side, y'all. Here's when he was being deposed. Um, this is what happened. The first thing is he's going to talk about the Access Hollywood tapes. And, oh, my God, if if there's no other proof that this man is a raging misogynist a-hole, <laughs> like, he has no regrets. Listen to him talk about those, the Trump, uh, the Hollywood Access tapes. Here we go. And you say, and again, this has become very famous in this video, I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the pussy. You can do anything. That's what you said, correct? Well, historically, that's true with stars. True with stars that, that they can grab women by the pussy? Well, that's what it's... If you look over the last million years, I guess that's been largely true. Not always, but largely true. Unfortunately or fortunately. And you consider yourself uh, to be a star? I think you can say that, yeah. What a tool! What an absolute. The fortunately or unfortunately that. part, like, Ugh. is so bad. Uh, yeah. I will never forgive this country for electing that man. Like, it's actually so embarrassing that he was yeah. president for the yes. time that he was, and then he could actually be president again. Um, yes. And that's just the scariest shit ever. I mean, this is the other thing. It's like, don't you think if you're finally accused of, you know, sexual abuse and defamation you should probably be barred from running for office again but no again political office is the last place that predators can still be employable um but my god the la the lack of remorse and the pride it's yeah. not that he said that and was like oh geez i shouldn't have said that out loud it was like no 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 don't you think i'm famous enough to grab women by the pussy <laughs> Yeah, it's the entitlement, but it's also how awful he is at debate in that he's like, well, you know, everyone else does it. Like, that's right. his reasoning. He's like, in all of history. For millions famous, of years. When you're a star, that's what everyone does. The million eons. In fact, really, um, the the universe was formed um, when a, when a, uh, a ball of fire touched a black hole. It grabbed that black hole, you know, and it, and then it was like, oh my god, that that ball of fire! But he's but he's on fire, you know. Therefore, Big Bang. Big Bang, exactly. Um, just just so ridiculous. Okay, so that's one. Imagine you're a jury. You watch that. You're like, oh, this man is an unrepentant, you know, uh, like creep. And then 
he misidentifies um, E. Jean Carroll in a photo for his, he mistakes her for his wife. And the reason that matters is because he consistently has said that E. Jean Carroll's not his type, not his type, not his type. That's why he wouldn't rape her. Of course, you can basically orchestrate that into saying, I only rape people who I'm attracted to. Sweet. So here we go. This is the moment he misidentifies uh, E. Jean Carroll as his former wife, Marla Maples. It's Marla. You say Marla's in this photo? That's Marla, yeah. That's, that's my wife. Which woman are you pointing to? Hang on. Here. Tara. Oh, is that? The oh, person okay. you just pointed to was oh, E. Jean Carroll. Who is that? Who is this? Point. <laughs> 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 This he always is, tells on himself. Exactly. He always tells on himself. That's this the thing. This is exactly what he did during. I remember like January 6th, they were like, I think he was talking about like what happened. And he was like, yeah, I, I, I sent them there. It's like, that's what we've been actually debating this whole time is who sent them there. So thanks for just saying that you actually sent all the protesters to the Capitol because we're all wondering. I mean, we obviously knew it was you, but thanks for admitting it. Like everything right, else you've done. Right. Imagine just being like, look, I've made a lot of jokes about Rudy Giuliani and his drinking habits, but you gotta be drunk to represent this man. Like, there's no other way to be his lawyer. You have, you need to handle a day at least just to get through. Cause you're just like coaching him, like, please don't, just don't say it. You know, just, just, just <laughs> like say as little as possible, yes or no. Rape is wrong. Rape is wrong. Rape is wrong. Right. Remember, remember, remember. <laughs> um, and like, you didn't do it. And everyone, like, Oh, and then so yeah, so there he is misidentifying her, and it's incredible because it's like it's kind of like that grandpa moment where you're like, no, grandpa, that's not. It's like a, it's like if grandpa's looking at a family photo and like his granddaughter's there, and he's like, oh, look at that piece of ass, and you're like, no, sh oh god, no, that's your granddaughter or something. That's exactly awful. something Trump would do. That is exactly right. something Trump would do. Totally, we've done it. To his own daughter. Um, and then finally, and I think some of the, probably the most disgusting thing, and I apologize, I'm subjecting everyone to this, but he Ugh. he claims, um, based on an interview that E. Jean Carroll did with uh, Anderson Cooper on CNN a few years ago, when this all first started, um, he watched that interview and thought that she was making an argument that rape is hot and sexy. I think the, the what she was actually talking about was that we in sort of fictionalizing rape we uh, somehow imagine that a rape fantasy exists like no man that uh, an orgasm fantasy exists for everyone out there just so you know anyway uh here here he is in, in probably the worst moment of all this whole deposition she actually indicated that she loved it okay she loved it until commercial break in fact i think she said it was sexy didn't she it was very sexy to be raped didn't you say that? So, sir, I just want to confirm. It's your testimony that E. Jean Carroll said that she loved being sexually assaulted by you? Well, based on her interview with Anderson Cooper, I believe that's what took place. You, we, can, we can define that. You'll have to show that. I'm sure you're going to show that. But she was interviewed by Anderson Cooper, and I think she said that rape was sexy, which it's not, by the way. But I think she said that rape was sexy, and... He, he just wants to keep on saying rape is sexy and I'm just, I want, now I want to drink. I just want to just guzzle. That is, so there he was. And guys, this is what his jury, this jury watched all that entire deposition. This man is clearly a rapist. He obviously raped her. 
he's saying, he's basically saying, you know what he wants to say? He wants to say, he wants to have his, like, not, like, no offense to Samuel L. Jackson, but this moment. He wants to have his a time to kill moment where he, like, yells, yes, I raped her, and it was sexy, and, and like, it was fun. And I do that. Yeah. And exactly. I do it again. And do it again. Absolutely. That's what he 100%. wants to do. Yeah. He wants everyone to know. He's a raging, raging narcissist. Truly believe their own delusions that they are entitled to people and things. And so, yes. even if a drunk Julie Giuliani is trying to coach him to be like rape is bad, he cannot help himself. No. He, he just it, it just wants to come out of him that what he did is fine. Yes, yeah, he's to say it. He doesn't care. He loves living in his own delusion. It's reminding me of during the there's so many instances like this, but the one that always sticks out to me is when the pandemic was happening and it was like the worst like part of it. And everyone was inside and we all were really sad. People were dying. People's friends were getting sick. And he's like, two weeks, we're all going to be in church and we're all going to be holding hands. It's going to be Easter. And then we got there. He's like, oh, like I, I literally thought that it's like they Fauci and every single doctor was telling you this is going to last so much longer but again you chose to live in your own reality that was never real in the first place yep totally yeah. uh it's i mean at least look <laughs> this poor lawyer I mean, there's no it's disgusting and like again i think that this was a clearly a low end of how much he could have been uh sued for basically in terms of this you know the five million dollars in damages at least it's something and to me at least eugene carroll didn't let this go she you know um, she held her own. She spoke like, like you know, forcefully and openly about this, and kind of reclaimed her her truth and all that. And 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 again, I hope she can. My only hope is really like that she can go on to like have a normal relationship with somebody because she said that it like completely crushed her ability to be intimate with anybody, and that is very real for I think a lot of survivors. So that's what I wish for her. Um, I also wish for her that Trump's diaper explodes live on television. What's going on, Frantifa? If you haven't already, subscribe to this channel right now. Hit that button. And also, you can become a patron and support the show every single day. Okay. Francesca Fiorentino on Trump. George Santos. Other Republicans back in Washington voting on an unemployment fraud bill. Which is, uh, which is wild, considering that that is part of what he's been indicted for. Santos was arraigned on 13 separate federal charges, wire fraud, money laundering, abusing public funds. The DOJ also alleging Santos spent money that he claimed was for his campaign, but he basically grifted, pocketing it, according to the filing, for personal expenses luxury designer clothing, credit card payments for his own personal use. Now, these charges come after months of reports about Santos's lies, about his career, his education, his own life. And the tapes that we have as part of this exclusive, the Santos tapes, were recorded by documentarian Blake Zeff. This occurred in January and February this year, so quite recent, quite newsworthy, but before this week's indictment of Santos. Uh, Zeff was at one point exploring a possible documentary. We should note, as we mentioned in our coverage last night, Zeff also did a completely separate student loan policy documentary that aired on MSNBC. Now, in the new tapes I have for you tonight, you can hear the focus on the money, the grifting. Uh, Mr. Santos wanted to find some way to get money for doing what most politicians, whether they're in office or candidates, 
constantly do without expectation of any money, which is he wanted to somehow find a payday for participating in a potential documentary that didn't ultimately occur. Journalistically, that would be not how it's done. There are ethics questions here and more. Santos, however, on this new tape you're going to hear for the first time now, was looking for a payday. So what are the entertaining kind of like uh, monetarily just I, I, look, I'm not, I don't have a number in my head. <laughs> like, the fact that I'm having these conversations, these are conversations I never in a million years thought I would be having. But when in Rome, <laughs> you know, let's have the conversations. A lot has changed over the last uh, recycle, so over the last six years. So from 18 to now, a lot has changed. The Ethics Committee has allowed so many things. And it's been bipartisan and across the aisle. So I think... Uh, you know, this is this is this is a different time in Congress where they're understanding that this is just going to be a new way of doing things. Santos may have just been BSing. He may have been lying to himself, or he may have somehow got in his head that he really believed that there was a new way, and this is what he would get away with. All of this quite interesting as we report on his indictment. As for the Rome reference, well, I don't know if grifting for interviews was a common practice in Rome. Jurisdictionally, though, it doesn't help you with American authorities. Santos also discussed whether the Ethics Committee would okay some of the line stretching that he wanted to do and get money. So I was actually given encouraging feedback yesterday when I spoke to them that uh, it's become a very common occurrence uh, of members selling rights to their stories as politics comes more to the front and center of, you know, the national stage and of you know, public interest, so it's become a very common thing, and this wouldn't be the first. Now, these tapes are from the same source that we reported on with Blake Zeff last night, this exclusive set of tapes that have not gone public before. And we should note, although we, of course, are, are very interested in the news, and we broke it last night because we thought it was newsworthy, it is getting picked up in other print outlets, including the attention and scrutiny on Santos's uh, attempt to crack, as the Daily Beast put it, a, quote, joke about a room full of Jews in newly released audio. You can see some of the other headlines. That's The Forward, which is one of the uh, preeminent Jewish-related uh, newspapers in the country. All of this interesting because one of the other charges against Santos goes well beyond offending people. It goes to him trying to justify a type of public theft. So some of this might just be offensive or scandalous. People can make up their minds. Other parts of it add to the evidence about the mindset of someone who as of January and February was talking this way, and as of now, is trying to fight to stay out of prison for a whole host of charges that relate to lying and money. Now, here's a new clip where, uh, a clip tonight I want to play for you, where he talks about these benefits that were for unemployed people in the pandemic. So, the way I look at it is, they're not understanding. If they, the question is simple. George, why was your income 55,000 in 2020, and why is your income drastically higher? Well, here's the answer to that. I have, we struck a deal with the company so nobody went unemployed and got reduced to like a very basic salary, just so we, as we call it, livable wages in the company, um, so we can get by. So, long story short, I went from 2019 bringing in 400 and something thousand dollars to, yeah, in 2020, my reported income was 55K. It was, it couldn't be more legitimate. I actually qualified for unemployment. <laughs> That's how he was discussing it on tape. The feds disagree. We are joined now 
by the documentarian behind these new Santos tapes, the man on the other end of those conversations for hours, actually, Blake Zeff. Uh, this was a big scoop when you brought it to us last night, and we wanted to have you back, as I mentioned, for some of those tapes that are new. So first of all, uh, thanks and good to see you, Blake. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we've seen this story continue to really get traction. Uh, Santos writ large, the Democratic leader, Hakeem Jeffries, today was sort of talking about Trump and Santos as the face of the lying Republican Party. That's the politics of it, and then there's the law of it. Uh, in the new tapes that you've now uh, released tonight, what do you think is important? Well, you know, I, I would say that uh, it, it, when it comes to what the congressman has been saying, it's uh, in the conversation that we had, this is very much a confirmation of some of the stuff we talked yesterday, where he was clearly trying to get money to participate in this documentary. I want to be really careful and clear here, Ari. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not saying that this is unlawful. I'm saying as a journalist, it is not common that when you approach um, a politician that, to be in a documentary, just in my experience, I just did a documentary, as you mentioned, for uh, for MSNBC last year, and there were a lot of politicians in them. Not a single one of them asked me if I could pay them to be in it. And, you know, we had several right. conversations with the congressman where we were trying to avoid, you know, I really wanted to see if we could make this movie without that. And it kept just being thrown you know, as a roadblock to get there. Yeah. And Blake, and let's Blake, Blake, let's bear down on that point. Uh, no one who was in government was paid, for example, by you in your documentary. Correct. And, that's and in MSNBC, they've. Yeah, that's a journalistic standard. I mean, MSNBC has run many other documentaries as well as many other reports. Uh, the, the, the entire news standards and practice division does not allow payments to those people in government or most any kind of payment for a source uh, that's participating in journalism. And so that's like a line. I wanted to then get your read as the person he was talking to when he says, I don't have a number in mind. And, you know, I don't, I don't even know. I never thought I'd be having this conversation. He almost sounds like someone who has some dim awareness uh, that this could be bad and sound bad. Is, is that how you took it, or what was your take? It is how I took it for two reasons. One, when I initially was in his congressional office meeting with him on Capitol Hill, when this topic started to come up, he stopped me and said, we cannot have this conversation while I'm in this congressional office. We've got to have a separate conversation about this. And so a phone conversation was orchestrated where I presumed he was not inside the Capitol at that point. I think he'd been given some guidance from the Ethics Committee. Where, you know, the potential disconnect occurred was my filmmaking team and I really did not think that the ethics committee was going to give him the go ahead to take money to be in this. So we kind of assumed that, you know, we didn't want to give him money. We weren't going to. And we sort of assumed, well, the ethics committee is going to say you can't take money for this anyway. And then that part of the conversation will be over and we'll get back to making a documentary. So, I, you know, I kind of kept saying to him, yeah, I don't think the ethics committee is going to sign off on this. And then, as you heard in the tapes, he comes back and says, well, good news. I had some encouraging reports. The ethics committee says everything has changed. I can't tell you if that's true or not, because I wasn't there when he spoke with the Ethics Committee, right. but it doesn't jive with kind of the experience that, that we've had in the past. And again, it's highly unusual. I've not had that situation where someone's asked for a lot of money. One other thing I'll mention, because you brought up the wording when he said, oh, I don't have an exact dollar amount. If you listen to some of the other uh, conversations or, or witnesses who have been involved with previous situations with George Santos, even before he was in Congress, if you remember when he was doing, um, he was involved with a dog charity, for example. His language was very similar, where he kind of has this aw shucks mentality, where it's like, I don't really know about the money. This isn't kind of my thing. I'm not interested. It's not about the money. Always kind of leads with that. And it was very similar yeah. in this case. No, and that may be one of his mechanisms. Uh, he also talked to you about running for president. New tonight. Let's listen to that. 
It's with not a thought that I haven't had. Let me make that very clear. It's not a thought I have not had. Um, in light of all the mishigats and all the freaking frenzy and fanfare over my SEC filings, until I can get all that squared away and put it to bed, the sheer thought of me opening an exploratory presidential committee would break Don't all the rules. I just have two thoughts, Blake, and we'll get your response. On a lighter note, uh, between the Michigas today uh, and his stab at discussing a room full of Jews yesterday, I'm reminded of the Seinfeld question of whether the dentist converted to Judaism for the jokes. Uh, and as we often say on the program, I'll leave it to others to assess that, Michigas, uh, to quote Santos quoting a common term. On the more serious point, again, he balances between a completely absurd idea that George Santos, and that's when his own party kicked off committees, uh, would be any kind of presidential candidate material, um, while also showing some awareness of, well, I, I can't do that. I do have some stuff I got to get through. So in that sense, again, you're giving us a window into the mindset. Um, but I, I'm curious your thoughts on that. I think you're exactly right. It was kind of wild. I want to be you know, clear. You know, sometimes when you talk to a subject, as a, as a journalist or a documentarian, you kind of want to bring things out of them. And so I want to be clear, he didn't bring up the idea of running for president. I was curious because when I spoke with him, he seemed to have such grand ambitions and such a high sense of himself that I brought it up. I said, you know, have you thought about running for president? Is that something you would do? Um, and he you know, has a very good sense of humor. Um, and there was a lot of laughing when we were talking. And then in this case, he, was, he got quite serious. And he said, it's not something I haven't thought about. I want to make that very clear. Um, but then, as you say, he then quickly tackles himself and says, but, you know, I've got a lot of ethics stuff to get through first. And part of that, I think, Ari, is because it was clear that he had been meeting with the ethics committee a lot when I was meeting with them. And I think in some mm. cases, just before the conversation, maybe the most previous conversation or meeting he had just had was with ethics. So some of these things were fresh in his mind at that point. Um, but I think even that's interesting because it gives you a sense of just how much guidance and interaction he's having with the ethics committee. And as we see now, yeah. probably... Good reason. Okay, so that's our take on two Republican luminaries, Mr. Trump and Mr. Santos. What does this have to do with labor? Well, you go to work every day and you work hard. And people like this are using all your effort and all your labor, and they're profiting from it, and they're living high off the hog on it, and they're cheating with it, and they're refusing to pay people. These are the people that we're talking about. These are the people who are using the fact that you go to work every day make them great. Mr. Santos is uh, going to be indicted. Mr. Trump has already been invite, indicted and probably will be indicted uh, even more on different counts. And uh, it's a great labor song from a great Yeah.
sing, isn't that wonderful? Daylight come and he won't go home. Daylight come and he won't go home. Daylight come and he won't go home. Daylight come and he Had your work all night and a drink a rum. Daylight come and we want to stack banana till the morning come. Daylight come and we want to come, Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana. Daylight come and we want to come, Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana. Banana. 
out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five
Okay, that was a um, work song from Harry Belafonte, the great civil rights singer for civil rights, and leader, activist. Belafonte told the story of how when he f was first uh, coming into fame, he was supposed to go on the Ed Sullivan show and one of the red baiting publications at that red channels had him listed as a communist. Ed Sullivan Ed Sullivan's office called him up and said, We've got a problem because your name, are these things true that they said? And Membership in various organizations, speeches. And Belafonte said, well, some of them are and some of them aren't. And uh, after that, his name was taken out off. He was allowed to sing on Sullivan's show. The only problem was all of his peers and his friends and his associates thought that he had named names, thought that he had ratted people in order to get over and be able to sing his song, which he said was not true, but it was a very hard time to be blacklisting, redlisting, redbaiting, cut in all different directions. As the great writer Dalton Trumbo said, we were all victims. After that, one of the one of the best-selling work songs of all time, Nine to Five, Dolly Parton, always tinged with a bit of humor and a bit of sort of condescension for these women who work in offices. But down deep, there's real real rip-off going on of people's labor and people's time. And, people's and she says, no matter what they call it, you always end up putting money in his wallet, working nine to five. And then Buffy St. Marie, and I want to pick up on this one after our uh, little break here. Bill.
said in race to midnight was well after 11. My name's <laughs> my name's John Trudell. Uh, I'm California. I know that humanity is not living in balance with nature. It's not happening. I mean, it's and actually, it's more than a little out of balance. Uh, humanity is actually, at this point, almost going against nature. It's beyond living out of balance. But I also think with humanity going against nature that there's a small percentage, a small number of human beings that are behind this and driving it and imposing it upon just humanity in general. In going against nature, what does that do to the survivability? <laughs> it reduces, the, it reduces the opportunities for human beings to continue to participate in the evolutionary reality indefinitely. It's bringing a definite conclusion to the ability of the human beings to participate in this evolutionary reality. You know, it, it's... Um, uh, because it's going against nature or the earth, I mean, you know, in, I mean, actually, in actual terms, you know, what, what the industrial man is doing is, is murdering the life support systems, murdering the water, the air, mur murdering the life that gives us the ability to have life. You know, and that's really what we're faced with. We can call it poisoning the water or whatever, you know, but in the end, it's, it's, it's like an act of murder, genocide in a way. <coughs> Well, I think as human beings, we live in a technologic, perceptional, actual reality where a part of that technologic reality is that the civilizing process is it erases the memory of the human being. It erases the memory from the human being of being a human being. It's almost like a spirit, a, a severing, a severing of our connection to any spiritual reality. And in, and in once that has been imprinted into the consciousness of the human beings, see, then I think that's what makes these other things possible. It isn't that we're, as human beings, we're bad. It's got nothing to do with our badness. What it has to do is, is that there's a program going on that literally feeds off of the being part of human, eating our spirit. All right? and, and in order for all that to happen, then these imprinting Things have to happen to our consciousness, and a part of that is to re erase the memory of the human being about being a human being. See, so we no longer participate in reality, perceiving reality as human beings. We partici participate in reality as feeling as either like um, we're oppressed culturally, ethnically, gender-wise, class-wise, but we participate in reality from the eyes of being victimized and, and very fearful and insecure. We don't think like human beings, but the reason for that is, is because there's been a deliberate suppression of our memory of that identity.
who is suppressing this, and where is that coming from? You talk a bit about a few. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I, I mean, I... Becoming human. And, uh, John Trudell. Uh, I'm California. Intelligence and understand the value of our intelligence. Because as human beings, our ability to access the reality of our power is in through clear and coherent use of our intelligence. See, our intelligence, that's the portal how we, we manifest and access the, our relationship into the reality of power as humans, is through, uh, through the use of our intelligence. But we've been imprinted and programmed, you know, I mean, basically, where we're at now in the evolution of human beings. We're basically in a period of time in this, in this industrial technologic world where the majority of the human beings participate in this reality based upon their fears and their doubts and insecurities, so their perception of their inabilities. And all that was imprinted in there to make us not recognize ourselves. And, and you know, and, and, and to understand the power and recognize the power of our intelligences, let's say, through our fears and our doubts and in our insecurities, how bad can we make ourselves feel? And how does that affect the people around us? Well, that's power. That's our power. That's a, a manifestation of our personal power. But we've been imprinted to use it in this kind of a way. But so we do have power. It's in how we recognize it and choose to direct it and use it. So I would say the first step to this is like recognize the value of our intelligence and the power of our intelligence. Because I think that any, any person or people that would be concerned about saving the earth and saving creation and have this type of an awareness, I, 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 think, that it's, I think that a necessary component to that is to give thanks to their, however one perceives the creator, give thanks to the creator, number one, for life, and number two, for the gift of intelligence. To show respect for this, maybe because we need to show respect to our intelligence and maybe it's a part of our thanks that we give. On a, on, a con on, on a daily basis, on a, almost in a ritualistic way. Because we cr our intelligence to me, I mean, it's, it's like our imagination, our creativity, our thoughts, and then our understanding or misunderstanding, and then our actions is what we manifest. A and I think that it's time for us to understand, look at, recognize, and attempt to understand the value of our intelligence, because whatever struggle is ahead of us, if we are to, to participate, continue to participate in the evolu evolutionary reality as human beings, it's going to take clear and coherent use of our intelligence to do it, generationally, collectively, individually, but it's, that's what, it's, what it is going to take. Everything that has ever been done to create these emotional distortions in us has been done 
to keep us from using our intelligence clearly and coherently. Now, so, so how do we deprogram or get back? I mean, it, it goes back to the very basic. You know, we need to recognize ourselves. We really need to recognize ourselves. Then we can synchronize all the other things in a much more synchronized way. No, I'm just looking at it, trying to weave it into what we're talking about, and it's just really powerful as you're saying that. I would love to know from your point of view what. There's two. It's a two-part question, and one's a down, the darker side, which is I'll do the darker side first. Which is, well, I understand dark. <laughs> do you believe? Um, that we're approaching a bottleneck, or you know, the title of this film is the 11th hour, and a lot of people we're talking to believe that if certain things aren't done quickly, that you know, a lot of people will lose their lives just from natural catastrophes and things like that. Do you believe that we're at that point from what you see? And if so, how do we get out of this situation? You answered that a little bit in your last question, but well, no, I don't believe anything, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, I don't trust the word or the concept. I think it's much more realistic to say either I know or I don't know or I think. Because be, uh, for me, when I, I mean just I have to do this, I can't help it. Because with the believe thing, it means it's like I'm not being, why don't I just acknowledge I don't know? You know, and, 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 it's, uh, and, 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 and think about things. See, I think we should say, think in terms of I think this rather than I believe this. Because I, I think we'll activate the coherency system a little bit. Uh, about the bottleneck and the thing, you know, in the race to midnight, it's after 11. You know, uh, and and what can be done about it, because it's, it's not that nothing can be done about it, but again, this comes back to how clearly and coherently we use our intelligence. Because I think that, number one, there's no revolutionary solution to anything that we're dealing with. There may be revolutionary stopgaps, but there's no revolutionary solution. It's about, we're a part of evolution. It's an evolutionary reality, so we, there's an evolutionary solution. I think to head this, to head into the direction of this thing, this bad that is coming, I think that we have time. I think that it can be turned around in two generations, but it's going to take clear and coherent use of our intelligence to think our way through this, not to emotionally react to the bad guys because the, we emotionally react. We end up doing the same old stuff over and over again, and, and the bad guys just get badder and badder. That seems to be a historical reality. But also a part of that historical reality is that every rebellion that goes on, our cause may be just and right and all of the good, you know, all the pretty flag stuff, right? But in reality, but in reality, in every situation, we always, we were emotionally reacting by trying to challenge their ways by their rules. We weren't thinking outside of the box. You know, and, and but we've been programmed not to think outside of the box because we've been programmed not to like ourselves and be insecure and this and that, so not trust certain abilities that we have. Now, so we have to get past that. I think that it's, you know, it, it's, 
if we can just seek to be as clear and coherent with our intelligence as we can, and, and, and within two generations, see, we, because that will create answers and solutions to problems that exist that have no answers and solutions. But again, it's about to use, you know, to be as clear and coherent as we can, not emotional reactionaryism, but clear, coherent, responsible, initiated response to what is going on. And, and, and you know, because we have, be, be prepared for this because there's going to be a lot of, the way that it's headed now, there's a lot of dying coming. Tremendous amounts of dying because the planet is overpopulated, the resources are dwindling, that, that industrial ruling class, you know, they, they, want what they, they, they want to keep what they have. They're on, a very, they're on an anti-life destructive course with, with the future. You know, so for that industrial ruling class and the dwindling resources environment we're talking about and in the overpopulation, they need to purge this planet of huge, tremendous numbers of the human population. And they're going to do it. Right? I mean, that's what, they're, they're setting it all in motion now. See, so that's where it's headed. And this is why, to me, it's, where it's very crucial because I don't, I don't think that time is against us. Time is an ally. The real issue is, are we time's ally? Will we take the responsibility to use our intelligence clearly and coherently? Not be overwhelmed by the idea or say, how do I do that? But just head in that direction to think things out. Because, because when you get to the realities of power, the illusions, authority as an illusion of power, the state and all this and that, all right, all right, then we're always outnumbered there. But if you, if you look at the reality of power, and say the reality of power is in clear and, clear and co uh, conscientious thought, clear and coherent thought, then we outnumber them. It's just a matter of us getting to that point where we recognize that, we recognize our own value. We're in a system that has devalued us, and see, and, and, and the trick of the devaluing was it got us to devalue ourselves. One last thing, uh, unless you want to have, make any other statement. I have one last question. Does anyone have any? My, my, all right, I want to make one statement. Please. All right. <laughs> it's about Maybe the, ma it, no, no, it's about the math of the IQ. And, um, we know George Bush isn't intelligent enough, intelligent enough to think up all this mess. But we keep blaming him. So what does the math of the IQ say about our intelligence? <laughs> it's my puzzle. <laughs> um. There's one other thing, because you're so good on this, and, I, and it's an easy question, but I want you on camera for the answer. I have two more questions. Do you think it's a moral obligation to protect the planet and, teach and protect the evolutionary process that we're on? No, I don't think it's a moral obligation. I think it's a spiritual responsibility. It's our, it's our responsibility. Yeah, a spiritual responsibility. The last thing is, we're compiling at the end of all of these interviews a message to, let's say, the, a generation 50 years from now or 100 years from now. What would you like to say to them, given what you know about the world right now, if they were able to watch you? Use your intelligence clearly and coherently. Think. Thank you. That's a good question.
Yeah. Just like how how you came to where you would stand in your ideas. Say that again. How do you how have you come to this place in your life and your ideas? How do you how what path brought you to this place? <laughs> I went crazy when I was about six. <laughs> I, and never could synchronize it. Never could really synchronize with, with the normal and the sane. I mean, really. I mean, because I look at the life, the normal and the sane and the typical. They're powerless. They feel powerless. They feel overwhelmed. You know, and me, I, I kind of went a little crazy about that age because reality changed for me. And I went out and I lived. I lived my life how I lived it. No big plan, just I lived it the way I lived it at any given moment. And I've learned what I learned from that living. You know, I can't take, I can't take any credit for anything, you know. I just, <laughs> I mean, I'd like, a lot of things I'd really like to take. I mean, I think I would like to take some credit for a lot of it, but I'm not sure that I ever really know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, that's really the best I could answer that. It just turned out the way that it turned out. But, I, but what I did learn from all of that you see, and I'm not, I'm not, un I'm nothing unique or anything like that. I, I just, some kind of a way, stumbled on some of the abilities that we all have, and I just stumbled upon them in me, within me, in my own manner and fashion. You know, but it, it I mean, um, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I just was born, <laughs> went through every day till I got here to this spot. <laughs> And that was a Native American activist, poet, magician, John Trudell on becoming human and how we can respond to the death wish of the society that involves industrialists who won't want to give up. Right now, I want to shift gears. And welcome to the Labor and Love microphone. Vita Castaneda Morgan, our uh, college connection. How's everything, Vita? Get you on. if I call you back, okay? I'll call you right now. And we're going to talk to Vita today about the treatment that Donald Trump Hi, Vita. Are you there? Okay. Um, first of all, welcome to the microphone. Nice to talk to you. Hope everything's going well. Thank you. You too. And uh, specifically, our question for today is, does 
the big uproar because CNN, cable news network, gave Donald Trump um, time to uh, address a town hall meeting. It was obvious that all the people in the audience were Trump supporters. There were 15 Trump managers, you know, making sure that everything looked really good for their their leader, and uh, a lot of people, notably uh, Alexandra Casio Cortez, were really upset about it that they, that CNN would give him such an audience, such a nationwide audience to present whatever he calls his views. Um, whereas CNN defended themselves and said, "Well." Um, we have to let him say what he wants to say so people will know what he stands for doesn't stand for. And people can see him exposed. The uh, interview went by pretty, you know, without really, Trump sort of had his way with the interview. Anytime she would respond or question anything that he said, he would just talk over her. But anyway, how do you feel about this? I mean, I think that it sort of, like, uh, like, because the legal system already decided something, you know? So it kind of, like, uh, undermines the legal system in a way. Uh-huh. Because it's like, well, if this is already decided, like, why are you still letting this person talk? Like, there's no point in hearing his side if this is decided. You know, like, even if he's running for president or whatever, like, it shouldn't be like that. Because he's been accused, wasn't he accused of sexually harassing her? Yes, sexually harassing her. Yeah, so it's like, okay, why should we hear his, okay, great, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think the news station should be giving him a place to talk, because he already, like, talks enough and does it, and... Like, it should, in fact, like, be taking him less seriously because it's like, dude, what are you doing, you know? I'm sure like, they I'm sure they were yeah. looking at ratings, okay, when they did this. They knew that, that people who love Trump and people who hate Trump would all tune in to listen and watch while he went through all this. Right. Well, they kind of sold themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, I guess I have, I feel like I have such a bias that I'm not even, like, to me it's so obvious, like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be allowed <laughs> to be doing anything. Like, I thought he was supposed to be in prison years ago for other stuff, you know? So it's a little confusing, the whole thing. Like, why is he even here? Why is he here? I mean, I think the answer is that the legal system in the U.S. is designed for people like Trump, who have a lot of money and power, yeah, to you know get away with stuff. At least you know, you know postpone their punishment. But now there's no question; he's been convicted. Yeah, not like he said, she said. Yeah. So, do you think a person who's convicted of, say, sexual assault, should be allowed to run for president? 
think so because the government and the their representatives should be mo models for us, models for the society, and they should be as close to perfect as they can be. Because uh. if we're like, if we're over here like letting someone like that be president, then why don't we just release everybody from prison <laughs> who's ever done that and let them run for president? Like logically, it's. Like, it's a logical fallacy. Like, it makes no sense, you know? So, no, I don't think so. And, like, it's just like that movie with George Clooney where he was running for president, the Ides of March. And then um, it was like, it was saying, they were saying, do you believe in the death penalty? And then he was saying, um, no. And then they were saying, oh, but if someone hurt you, would you want to kill them? And he's like, yeah, I would want to kill them. Uh -huh. me personally but i don't think the government should like stoke what's worst in us it should stoke what's best in us okay. you get what i'm saying I so the government the government shouldn't just be uh the government and its representatives shouldn't all just be like emotional people making reactions or doing this they should actually be held up to a higher standard uh -huh. so that's why i don't think trump should be like around at all we also had a, a feature today on uh, George Santos. Do you have any yeah. opinion on George Santos? I haven't heard too much on him, you know? I haven't, I really haven't. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. under indictment now for 13 counts of lying when he was running for uh, Congress. Uh, yeah, I mean, I heard about that, yeah. I mean, that's, I think, it's just typical, like, the Republicans or conservatives want to, like, get into a Latino or people of color voting base. So they're trying to find somebody, but they don't know any good Latino people because all the good Latino people wouldn't be friends with them. The only <laughs> Latino people they know are all the crooks who are selling everybody out. So it makes sense. I mean, just like Ben Carson, you know, that other dude, the black guy, yeah. who was running for Republicans, like, he was weird too, and he was a crook, and... Every time that's going to happen, you, you get the weirdos, you know, the people that the black people or the Latino people didn't even include in their own group. They don't trust them. Those people run over there. So, I mean, that's what I think of that. It's going to keep happening, you know. Okay, well, Santos also claimed that he was Jewish, and he claimed that his mother was in Twin Towers when the plane <laughs> hit it. <laughs> that's and, funny. Uh, uh, it said he went to uh, all these great universities. And anyway, just a bunch of Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for your opinion, and I got to say I agree with you. I don't think such a man as Donald Trump should be allowed to run for president. But funny. There are probably all kinds of things he's disqualified for doing, <laughs> but that's not one of them. Yeah, no, it's, I think he should have been gone a long time ago. Okay, well, thank you very much for calling in and for your opinion, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. Okay. Ciao. Bye-bye. And that was uh, Dita Castaneda Morgan, daughter a uh, college student now looking around trying to get into uh, ultimately 
Did he in, get into law school? Lawyering. Okay, so it's, well, 11.41. We've got quite a ways. We've covered quite a bit. Oakland teachers strike. Frustration grows on all sides on day seven. Oakland, it's day seven of the teacher strike. Frustration is growing on all sides and very little information is coming out about what comes next. NBC Barry's Valina Jones explains where negotiations stand as we're less than two weeks until the end of the school year. We want justice for our students. More than a week on the picket lines and the chants and wants from educators remain the same. It's still energy, so I'm still pumped. The last time Oakland teachers went on strike in 2019, they agreed to go back to the classroom on the seventh day. While the reasons for striking this year are somewhat different, largely focused on pay and so-called common good proposals, teachers say their commitment is the same. And I just want movement. The district has a long history of dragging their feet. Uh, I've experienced that uh, in my 27 years teaching here. We have even more teachers on the line than we did in 2019, which I think shows how much Things need to change. Hundreds of Oakland teachers and supporters are marching down 12th Street on the seventh day of this teacher strike. Seven days into this, they say they are still committed and energized to getting what they say is a fair contract. Under their common good proposals, educators continue to ask for more staffing, facility repairs, and significant increase in resources for unhoused students. They really need to be providing more at the table, listening to the community to the community needs and what we've been asking for since day one. I believe having my child in the Oakland Unified School District shows that my commitment isn't just to a raise in my salary. I'm here for the betterment of my own child's education. Not all district parents agree. An online petition started by Oakland Reach, a local parent organization, now has over 800 signatures asking OUSD to consider legal action to force teachers off the picket lines. California Superintendent of Public Instruction Tony Thurman is acting as the mediator between the district and teachers union. My number one job, keep them talking. Keep them talking. Thurman explains since 2019, more districts have implemented common good proposals, adding that there's help with state funding. We can all win, that we can find an agreement that compensates educators the way they deserve to be educated, I mean compensated, that we can find a way to provide programs that support uh, students who've been disadvantaged, and we can do it in a way where we prioritize getting our students back into the classroom. In Oakland, Valina Jones, NBC Bay Area News. story today about Hollywood writers. Hollywood writers are on strike. And one of the issues is artificial intelligence. WGA, Writers Guild of America, called the strike just before midnight on May 1st with its leadership unanimously voting for a work stoppage after six weeks of negotiation with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers over a th new three-year contract that covers some 11,000 
500 film and television writers. Let's see. One of the issues, of course, is artificial intelligence. Even though overall production budgets have risen in the past decade, writer pay has declined. And the rise of streaming services has translated into lower residuals for writers, shorter paid work periods, more precarious employment, etc. With studios even threatening to replace more essential creative labor with AI options. Go on down to the Real News Network um, website. Hollywood writers are striking to save the industry corporate destruction. Before we go, we are spot Mexico no hay dos. Como San Jalisco tampoco. For 40 years, Barra family has been serving up the very best in Mexican food to the people of San Francisco. What's your favorite? Enchiladas? Tacos, chilaquiles, ultimate in birria, best salsa and chips in town, brought to you before you order. How about your favorite vegetarian omelets, burritos, and they got them. Find them all and more at San Jalisco, owner of 20th and South Glenness in the very heart of the mission. Come on down to San Jalisco where the food tells you you're in Mexico. B. Signing off. Let's see if we can find our sign off. a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Keep that in mind. Good reading, good work. This will be see you next week. I'll talk to you next week. Get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. 
From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Holy Patrick, Namaste. Every Monday at 6 p.m., it's Joke Workshop, streaming live on mutinyradio.fm. Lift the veil from your third eye on joke creation and what it takes to be a stand-up comic in the five shakasanas of San Francisco's comedy scene. This all-ages open mic invites comedy. Oh, pre-sign by Venmoing 2 to $5 at Mutiny Radio. Join us live for a small and special audience at the Mutiny Radio studio and gallery performance space, 2781 21st Street at Florida Street in the deep, deep, deep mission every Monday at 6 p.m. Does my ponytail look cool? Thank you. Namaste. Tuesday used to be the most unlikely night for fun. But every week at 6 p.m., come to OMG's Tuesday Open Mic. And see comics work out new material for free. For free. They get your Tuesday night party on with two-for-one well drink specials during the 6 to 8 p.m. show. Check out Eventbrite to reserve your free seat every Tuesday, 6 p.m. At OMG on Savory 6th Street. Savory 6th Street. Show up to go up. Hey, kids. It's your pal, Spiderman. <laughs> Sorry, Spiderman. Mortimer Spiderman. When I'm not swinging through the senior facility, best in Mysterio at Boggle, or getting beautifully plowed by the Rhino, I'm headed down to Mutiny Radio at the corner of 21st and Florida. They got some schlemiels doing the laugh lap. But hey, don't be a schmuck and donate 2 to $5 on... Hold, hold on, what is this? Let me get my glasses. The print's too small. Ben Moe? That's not real. What is that, Swedish? You knew that, right? This is in San Francisco. I'll drown it on. I'll, it's nap time. The year is 2023. Oh, I wish that laughter had value and the unexpected laugh was priceless. Worry not. True entertainment has brought us a savior in whosthatlive.com. Oh, finally, an escape from the apocalyptic nightmare I live in. You can go to whosthatlive.com and buy comedy tickets. And you're in the raffle, I guess. True, 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 true. production. First Sundays of every month, join your friends from Mutiny Radio at Hotel Utah on 4th and Bryant. 5 p.m. first Sundays for free comedy. Is San Francisco getting you down? Is everything too expensive? 
not first Sundays of the month at Hotel Utah for free comedy with Mutiny Radio. Incredible lineups every month with the best com- comedians from around the Bay. Join your friends trying to keep things affordable for free comedy first Sundays of the month. Hotel Utah, 4th Street. Weekly comedy at the best neighborhood bar in the city. Join your friends from Mutiny Radio every Thursday at 8 p.m. at the Bar on Dolores at 29th and Dolores. Starting after any very important sports game that might happen to be on, you're guaranteed a night of laughter for free. And when paired with the drink specials and the nicest bartender in San Francisco, it'll become a Thursday ritual. Show up to go out for comics, and please reserve your free tickets on Eventbrite so we know you're coming to laugh. Happy hour is when the comedy is the cheapest. Happy hour, the most free two hours of hour-long comedy on the radio and internet streaming live at 2781 21st Street. Come down, be in the audience. Dog-friendly. Dog-friendly. We are. Mutiny Radio is absolutely dog-friendly. A dog party. Ain't no party like a dog party. Dog party at Mutiny Radio. Every Friday, dog party <laughs> at Mutiny Radio. Happy hour. <laughs> 278 121st Street. Happy hour. Mutiny Radio. Dot FM. Here in Dot SF. Calling all crusties, punks, and poses. Pick your posteriors up off the pavement. Pack up your pins and patches and prepare to party. The Pacific Northwest Vest Fest returns this Saturday only at the SeaTac Expo Center. Whether you're a leather lover or just a denim demon, if you're looking to dress to impress for less, do not stress. You'll find all the best in pre-distressed vests right here at the Pacific Northwest Vest Fest. With over 40 vendors selling countless crossover styles, you'll find the perfect thing for your scene. Metal, thrash, Walmart, high-vis, and everything in between. All in one place. One day only. Unless it's a jacket. If you need a jacket, take your square ass somewhere else. Never pay for fabric you don't need and ditch the sleeves, but save the rest for the Pacific Northwest Fest Fest this Saturday only at SeaTac. Bring a can of PBR, get it half price. Daddy, Daddy, what are we going to do today? At 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon? Oh, over there at the parklet in front of Atlas Cafe for Tetons of Comedy. That, that's Titans of Comedy. Apparently, they've got great sandwiches, cafe drinks, and even some of my favorite beverages, like beer, wine, and sangria. All the things I drink to forget your mother. My new Uncle Blake says you smell like a brewery. What did I say about interrupting me? Anywho, right here on 20th and Alabama in the Deep Mission, paired with tasty comedy from Bay Area's favorite comics. For free! Every Saturday. Or at least the two Saturdays a month that the court mandates I have to see you. It's sunshine! And even in the drizzle, but not too much. Hey, Daddy, remember after soccer practice when it was raining and you didn't come? I really don't. Anywho. You take it with the freezers. Reservations. Reservations on Eventbrite. Fucking public schools. <laughs> in tri-level dual world of stand-up comedy. Laughter has value, and the unexpected laugh is priceless. Whois.thatlive.com. Comedy local shows on sale now. 
Everyone that purchases a ticket will automatically be entered into a true drawing. Who wants to focus on the genre of stand-up comedy and those that, who's that? Go to whoisthatlive.com for upcoming shows. Come to OMG on Savory 6th Street for DGIF. Thank gods, it's funny. Every third Friday at OMG. Check us out. Free show. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping. Acid and fapping. Fapping, fapping, acid, fap, 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 f